Hello and welcome to the Shorenstein Center Media and Politics Podcast. This special episode features the 2016 Theodore H. White Lecture on Press and Politics, which was delivered by Larry Wilmore, comedian, producer and writer, and former host of Comedy Central's The Nightly Show. We begin with Shorenstein Center director Nick O'Mealy introducing the background of the Theodore H. White Lecture. We're here tonight for the Theodore H. White Lecture. Theodore H. White was a journalist interested in political campaigns, but what he really wanted was some deeper insight into who our politicians are. Who are they as people? What shapes them? After a lot of work, he wrote uh, The Making of the President, 1960 which told the story of John F. F. Kennedy becoming elected uh, president of the United States. And it was this gripping, moving book. It's, It's impossible today to imagine the impact of that book. He took something that was very serious, which was politics and governing the country, and he made it human and accessible and personal. But along the way, he also kind of unwittingly, accidentally helped usher in a kind of political coverage that over time has begun to look more and more like entertainment. White's writing style in his Making of the President series, he wrote four of them, is frequently referred to as cinematic. Reading his books, you can almost imagine the camera angles, the background music. Just as one example, This is him writing about John F. Kennedy waiting on the election eve to find out if he'd won the presidency. Carolyn, a scratch on her nose, was waiting to say goodnight to her father. And he bounced her on his knee several times and then sent her upstairs to bed and settled down to his first drink of the day, a daiquiri. Even as T.H. White reinvented political coverage to be more about personalities and the stories of politicians. He came to distrust this very style of storytelling. He turned on it. And after writing for 1960, 1964, 1968, 1972, he couldn't do it in 1976. He couldn't bring himself to do it. And instead he wrote, his memoir, and he describes in the third person why he couldn't do it. This America he was now reporting on was swelling with strange, vague forms, which his thinking could no longer shape into clean stories. No piling up of reportorial facts, no teasing anecdote, no embracing concept could hide from him what was wrong. His old ideas no longer stretched over the real world as he saw and sensed it to be. White came to really resist an approach to journalism that would value style and personality over substance. And now we live in a world where a reality television show star is the president-elect of the United States. In thinking about this, I want to tell you why I invited Larry Wormore here to give this lecture tonight. I'm, a, I'm a just a consummately digital person, right? I have never in my life read a print newspaper. But my beloved wife insists on getting the New York Times delivered to our driveway every, every day. It has occasionally been, yeah. It's occasionally been a point of contention. And I, every morning, I go to the gym, and as I'm getting out of the car after I get back from the gym, I pick up the New York Times, and I go in, and I put it on the dining room table, the dining room table where our three children come down and eat breakfast. And the first Friday in July, July 8th, I guess it was the second Friday in July, the first time in my life, I picked up that New York Times, and I did not want to put it on the table to show my children. The front page carried four photos taken from Diamond Reynolds' Facebook Live video. 
showing the police shooting of her boyfriend, Philando Castile, while her four-year-old daughter was in the back seat. I hid the New York Times, in part because I didn't want my children to see that vivid violence, but also because I was ashamed that would happen in the United States. It was a week where the country felt completely senseless. And I didn't know where to turn to make sense of this. And I turned to the nightly show, to Larry Wilmore. How do we be strong, hopeful, resolute, but also clear-eyed? Larry Wilmore has used his humor to help us plot this course. Political satire has a long and rich history throughout humankind as an important vehicle for commenting on craziness, for commenting on our times, for puncturing the narratives woven by the powerful. Wilmore's, Wilmore's show was full of serious discussion of the challenges of our time. And I think it represents the best of the strange world we live in where entertainment and news are mushed together. And remember, Larry Wilmore could end up president four years from now. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming Larry Wilmore for the PHI lecture. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, if you could move that away, that would be awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me here at Harvard. Uh, and uh, I do find it ironic. Um, you're absolutely right that uh, we uh, elect a reality show star uh, as president, and you decide to invite a fake journalist to give the theater or HY <laughs> lecture. I appreciate the irony in that. I just want you to know. But I am honored to be here. Thank you so much. And this has been, uh, it's been an interesting week. It's been a very interesting week. Um, yes, we are all uh, having this talk in what's essentially a mess hall, and it's been quite a mess of a week, too, right? So uh, what I thought I'd do is try to have some fun. And rather than uh, give uh, a kind of speech, I, I kind of missed my show. Thanks for reminding me that my show got canceled. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Wilmer had this great show that's not on anymore. <laughs> uh, no, but I really appreciate it. Such, such kind words about it. But I miss interviewing, so I thought, why don't I just interview myself? What would I ask? I want to know what I'm thinking about all this. Don't you want to know? <laughs> so let's have some fun. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. And I'll ask myself a few questions about... <laughs> about this past week. So if you will indulge me, I appreciate that. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Larry Wilmore. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, just take that away, guys. I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, Harvard, yeah. How's it going, guys? Yeah, it's a uh, higher, uh, we elect a reality star president and uh, you invite a fake journalist to your school. Uh, yeah. The IRB's not caught on it. Yeah, I just did that. You know that, right? Okay. <laughs> Okay, let's start this. Larry, thanks for coming here. Um, so how was your election night? Oh, God. It was truly surreal. I have never experienced anything like that. Uh, where were you watching? Were you at home? Yes, I was at home. I was by myself. Uh, you know, I was expecting, I was actually working on a piece. I was supposed to write a piece for The New Yorker. About, and I was going to write about Hillary. I thought she was going to win, right? And it, I, guys, I tell you, um, I've been watching, you know, elections since I was a kid. I just love them. There's something about it. It's real theater to me. You know, I was a theater major in school. You know, I studied acting and all that. But politics is a real interesting theater to me. So I love the drama of it all. I did not see this drama happening. So it was fascinating to me. And you could tell something was about to happen early on. You could just sense it, you know. And I like to go around all the networks and and kind of check out and see how people are reporting on it, because it's kind of what I do, I kind of um, talk about that kind of stuff. And you could see kind of like the smug, I don't know if smug is the right word, but the kind of acceptance, like, well, yeah, we kind of know what's going on. One more time we're going to anoint Hillary. You know, and I go to Fox, Fox is kind of sad and grumpy, which was hilarious. <laughs> they were like thinking this wasn't going to happen. 
And then when it started turning, I was like, no way. It was about, I think Florida was the first time that I thought that. At that point, did you think that Trump had a chance? I thought, no fucking way. <laughs> this cannot be happening. But you could see, you know, like a John King, I make fun of CNN all the time, I call it CEN, uh, Cable Entertainment News is what I call it. Because they love their magic walls and all this stuff. Like, they do actual projections on the wall of their projections, whatever CNN, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? You don't have to entertain me, just give me the damn news, right? But, uh, but sometimes it's very cool. Like John King, I love his magic wall. I and mean, he, uh, as he's showing in real time those numbers coming from the red areas, you could just sense there was something else going on. And, you know, I'm getting texts from people all around the country saying, oh my God, Larry, what's happening? You could like almost hear heads exploding like all around the country. You could sense it. Didn't it feel like that? It was so bizarre. To me, here's what, I, and then by the end of the night, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking online, I'm checking Twitter to see how people are reacting. And it's almost like the air even went out of Twitter. Like people almost couldn't even tweet. And to me, I kind of liken it like the Hillary supporters to me and the Democrats, it was kind of like, you know, when someone is about to open their brand new shiny Samsung Galaxy Note 7, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, they're happy. They're so happy. You know, and they're a little bit smug because they know it's the smartest phone out there, right? Yeah. Even though it's probably borrowed some of its more interesting ideas from some of the more progressive phones, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. They don't care, right? Yeah, so they're, they're, they plug it into the charger, you know, they're waiting for that phone. And the most, the most that's going through their mind at that point is, I wonder what time this phone is going to be charged so I can start using it, right? Not, man, am I even going to have a fucking phone at the end of tonight? <laughs> right? That is not what they're thinking. And that's exactly what happened. Like, when Wisconsin went, that phone basically burst into flames. It was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life. Mm -hmm. Samsung Galaxy Note reference. That's very good, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have a show, so I'm trying to keep up. Uh. Were you surprised by the results? Um, I was shocked, but not surprised, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, I actually kind of predicted it, unfortunately. Uh, on the Nightly Show, uh, in like in August of 2015, when Trump, after that first debate, when, uh, because before then, no, I don't think anyone even thought he would get out of August at that point, right? He had already insulted, I think, John McCain. You're a Republican running for president, and you call a consensus hero. Everyone thinks John McCain is a hero. You call him a loser, and you're a Republican running for office? I don't even know how he got invited to the Republican debate, the first one, right? But, so, after that, and then the whole Mexican rapist thing was a whole other thing, but I'm like, whatever, he's still going to the Republican debate, right? <laughs> so that's my own opinion about that, right? right? That may have gotten him into the Republican debate, I'm not sure. It's just a joke, Republicans, calm down. <laughs> so after he makes that, when Megyn Kelly confronts him about the, the, um, what he said about women and how he... Uh, had degraded women in his comments and called them disgusting and a pig. And he said, no, 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 only Rosie O'Donnell, right? And it got a huge applause. I was like, he's going to be president. I don't know what it was. I just had a feeling. Everybody made fun of me. I didn't want it to be true, but something kind of told me it was true. Now, did you, uh, were you continually surprised by the things that were going on? Continually, because I didn't think he could keep it up. I thought at any moment it was going to implode. That's what it felt like. That was the horror show that was this past year. Everything Donald Trump did should have disqualified any other candidate, right? We forget about a lot of it, too. I mean, he came out of the box with the Mexican rapist and then the woman comment, right? And uh, then I think he mocked the disabled reporter. His numbers went up, right? Uh, banned Muslims. Numbers went up. Uh, made fun of all the candidates. Numbers kept going up. Even insinuated that Ted Cruz's father killed the president, <laughs> wins the Republican nomination. <laughs> Makes fun of a gold star father. Numbers go down. We think he may be done, right? And then the, the worst thing of all, you know, we hear him on that tape. I mean, saying things that no, no candidate could ever uh, recover from. And we think he's dead and he wins. I mean, I have never, Trump is like, one of those super viruses 
that's like immune to antibiotics at this point. <laughs> and no matter how many antibiotics you pump into it, it just gets stronger and stronger. You know? he's, he's worse than the Terminator. At least the Terminator was entertaining. <laughs> Do you think it was a Trump win or a Hillary loss? Wow. Wow. It's a, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. I mean, there's no denying. Okay, let's just look at it in the broadest of sense, okay? If we take some of this stuff out of it and just look at the broadest of sense, when you look at what America likes to do, America's very superficial, by the way. Like, we like new stuff, we like shiny stuff, Trump's kind of the new candidate. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Okay, now let's look at their messaging. I was not crazy about Hillary's messaging. I understood Trump's. I didn't agree with Trump's Make America Great Again, but it, people understood that. That connected. Like, if you ask somebody, why are you voting for Trump? They say, well, he's going to make America great again. It's like, okay. And you ask them, why are you voting for Hillary? I'm with her. <laughs> yeah, but what is she going to do? Stronger together? I don't know. It just didn't, to me, the message, I didn't, you didn't quite, I don't think it connected the same way that make America great again, too. And also, it felt like, look, Hillary had a lot of passionate people following her, but it felt like the passion behind Donald Trump was more intense. Did it seem that way to you? Like Trump, he got, he got white people to the polls like they were voting for the first white president. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, that's what it seemed like to me. They weren't getting around. They were getting, or they were getting rid of the brilliant Mike man. Well, let me ask you that. Is America ready for a white president? Um, you know, we just want the best, Larry. We just, we just want the best president. <laughs> I always hate when people give me that bull. That like, I, I love it when people do this. Larry, I don't care if you're green or if you're, if you're, they do every color except black. I don't care if you're green or if you're orange. <laughs> no, Larry, you could be purple. What about black? Larry, you're, you're not listening to me. You could be blue, you could be burnt sienna. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> What about black? You can be cinnamon. Larry, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> uh, well, why don't you think the, the historical nature of this candidacy, do you think it didn't quite resonate uh, with people, you know, having the first woman president? I think it did. I think it did with a lot of people. But, you know, a lot of people compare that to the black vote, but it is very different. Um, because the black electorate, you know, we are 95%, 99% Democratic. It's like Omarosa and Don King are the Republicans, right? <laughs> ben Carson doesn't know half of what's going on at any given point. Well, he's sleeping most of the time, right? I don't know how he gets any surgery done by any chance. I, I don't know how it works. I think that's his, <laughs> I'm going off on a Ben Carson tangent, I love it. <laughs> no, I always thought his trick was, he puts you to sleep when he talks, and it comes in handy when he's about to do surgery. You know, to but having said that, I think, you know, the gender electorate, if you will, and to use a clumsy term, I think is a little more complex. You know, I think people vote more ideologically than they do on those lines, whether we believe that or not. I think people really do. And people say, yeah, but people voted for Obama because he was black. Yeah, but he was also a Democrat. If Obama was a Republican, or if it was Colin Powell, there'd be a lot of cognitive dissonance at the barbershops around the country. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be on such clean lines. I think he'd still get a lot of support, but I don't know if it would be as clean. You know, and there were, you know, people are kind of have been in a relationship with Hillary for a long time too, and I think that played along with it too. She wasn't. It's not like people were just getting to know her. And so it wasn't as clean a block as just saying women are just going to go out and vote for her. But it's interesting because she, she may end up having two more million votes than Donald Trump when this is said and done. Go figure. Do you think Trump ran a racist campaign? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with what you're saying. For me, it started before he ran for office with the whole birther campaign. I was very offended by that. I wrote a little bit about this uh, in a New Yorker piece. <laughs> I ended up switching it to Donald Trump uh, called the, the Birther of a Nation. 
Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. Um, but to me, I didn't appreciate that whole, that whole movement. I didn't appreciate the energy that was behind it. Um, because that was, the whole delegitimization of the first African-American president I took personally. And I link in my article, I link it back to the, to the movie Birth of a Nation, which is the reason why I brought it up, where uh, President Wilson actually had the movie screened in the White House and said, this movie was written with, it's like history was written with lightning. That's my uh, Woodrow Wilson impression. Anyway. <laughs> Sounds a little like Bob Schieffer, I apologize for that, Bob. <laughs> history written with lightning, you know, my only regret is that it's, it's absolutely true. But he officially in the White House and in the movie, Birth of a Nation, um, it portrays, you know, that stereotypical view of the black sexual predator who's coming to rape the white women and you know, creating this Mongol race, and the KKK had to stop that when we all know back then it was the cream was being poured in the coffee, not the other way around, um, which was a big like, take your time on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Some of this stuff you'll get on the way home. It's okay. Oh, the cream in the coffee. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's disgusting. I'm just keeping it 100, you guys. I'm keeping it 100. Um, so that was an official delegitimization of the black man in America, right? Confirmation bias for all you psychologists. Now, when what Trump is doing is the same thing to me. That's a direct line to that. He is uh, making an argument to un-Americanize the president of the United States, the first black president, to un-Americanize him. And the energy, now it's not just Trump doing it. Here's my problem with it. If he's just an idiot, he's doing it fine. But there was energy behind that movement. That, that was not just him, that was a movement. And that was the energy I felt when he was running for office. When he made the comment about Mexicans coming over being rapists, that's the energy that I felt. And that's why we dubbed the election uh, 2016 uh, blacklash, the unblackening, is what we called it right from the beginning, you know, because it was clear to us exactly what was going on. So there you go. Keep it hanging. Um, what about like when people say, take our country back? What do you think about that? I, that's another thing. What does that even mean, take our country? If you're saying take our country back, you're implying that somebody stole your country, right? And to me, the chief suspect is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Like, Obama was PWB, president and while black, apparently. You know? But uh, yeah, that was also very offensive. Those types of terms I find uh, very offensive as well. Mm. Well, do you, think, do you think Trump is a racist? Whatever, you know. <laughs> you know what, Trump, Trump is like a lazy racist. He's, <laughs> you know, he barely, he barely, I mean, he's so interested in himself. I don't even think he has enough wherewithal to be an actual really good racist, you know? I don't even think he has the attention span to be the kind of racist we should really be afraid of. <laughs> he's so interested in himself, you know? He believes, I mean, that, that's the thing he believes in the most. And I think he believes in anything that can promote his brain. I don't even think he believes in the speeches that, I think when he's reading those speeches in the teleprompter, I believe he's reading them for the first time. I really do believe, like, you ever see him when he's agreeing with the speech as he's reading it? <laughs> right? You know, who does that, right? It's so weird. He's like, and I can't even do it right now. And we need to do something about our trade with China. So true. So true. <laughs> you just, are you just reading this? What are you talking about? <laughs> We're going to really have to do something about NATO. I agree. I agree. It's like the speech is reading my mind. I don't. It thinks everything that I do. How's this working out? Magic teleprompter, tell me how you work. How Trump's word get on screen. <laughs> do you think? Uh, do you think Hillary? Uh, do you think Hillary should have called Trump supporters a basket of deplorables? You're asking the wrong person that question. First of all. Well, okay, let me put it like this. For uh, campaign strategy, I don't think it was wise of her to do it. Um, my belief is that, <laughs> you know, let other people do it. Like, somebody like James Carville should have done something like that. Don't the pole. I'm thinking like, oh my God, James Carville, you know. But it is kind of true what he's spitting out. You know? Basket of the pole. Uh, 
You know, and I hate, the, here's the other thing, guys. I'm a, I try to be a very optimistic person. I, I try to look at the bright side. I don't want to think bad of, of these people, the people that don't want to do these things. To me, like, part of it, I think, I, you know, Trump is, it's, his candidacy is almost like a, a Munchausen by proxy. Is that what it's called? Um, uh, like, deplorable by proxy, you know? Like, to me, Trump awakens a lot of fears in people, and then they just get on that deplorable train, I think, and are happy to ride it with him as the conductor. Um, Muslims coming over to kill you. Minorities and gays taking your country. Mexicans gonna rape your women. What? Well, what are we gonna do? I'll make America great again. Okay, thank you. You know, it feels like he stokes a lot of those fears, you know. But um, I think we should be more concerned about not a basket of deplorables, but a, can but a cabinet of deplorables. I think it's more of my concern. A cabinet of deplorables is a much bigger, Steve, is that his name, Steve Bannon? The uh, guy from Breitbart? I can't believe this at all. I mean, this is like, even the KKK is going, whoa. <laughs> really? Wow. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how do you do that? But what, even messaging, what kind of a message are you supposed to be telling America? You're, what kind of a message does that say? Imagine this. Imagine if Obama, for his White House advisor, had picked like Louis Farrakhan, right? You know white people would be very nervous about that appointment. You know, even Obama's speeches were completely changing. That's what we need to do about the economy. Uh, now let's talk about that white devil. <laughs> Oh, Obama. Oh, what happened? What happened to no drama Obama? You know he's a devil. Come on. Mm -mm. Uh, did the Bernie Sanders candidacy help or hurt the Clinton campaign, do you think? Um, first of all, I wish people would leave Bernie alone. <laughs> Bernie Sanders did more to energize and I think clarify some of the positions that I think were very important positions to probably the future of the Democratic Party. I'm one of those people that believes these parties may splinter and fracture. Democratic Party may become two parties. It may become the Progressive Party and the Liberal Party, maybe Conservative Party, may become like the Conservative Party and you know, uh, the Centrist Party or something like that. And you know, Gary Johnson will still be out there by himself somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, the issues that Bernie Sanders brought up I thought were very important issues and it kind of exposed a lot of the fissures in the Democratic Party and I think it exposed a lot of the blind spots more than anything else. And it's interesting that some of those blind spots I think Trump took advantage of, it seemed like, especially in the area of the lost middle class and you know, people feeling like the government wasn't there for them at all. There was a lot of overlap in some of the Bernie-Trump areas, you know, ironically in that. So I don't think he hurt the Clinton run, um, I think, if anything, he energized a lot of people who probably weren't even, you know, <laughs> excited. <laughs> and I thought he did the right thing, you know, when he, he supported, uh, he supported the, the Clinton campaign, but it wasn't like Ted Cruz, you know, who, uh, it's like he was on Molly or something when he was at the convention, and, <laughs> right, and made that speech and, you know, all that kind of stuff, so it was different. But I think what Bernie Sanders did is good for the future of the Democratic Party uh, more than anything else, in my opinion. Do you think Bernie would have beaten Trump? God. I don't think so. I, I don't think that would have happened, you know? I think, I think he may, uh, I, that basket of deplorables is pretty strong, you guys. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think he would have done it. Um, some say the liberal elite have been in a bubble, which many uh, feel, uh, which is why they feel so shattered right now, like that bubble's been shattered. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I mean, both sides have their own bubbles, right? Um, I think, I don't know if it's the liberal elite, but I think, it, I, I really think it is a party problem. The Republicans went through this, people forget, just a few years ago, they didn't know what was going on when Romney lost and uh, even when McCain lost. And I think it's just part of the natural forensics of losing a campaign when you feel that way, you know, what happened. But there's some, the thing that's been going on in the country, let's make no mistake, you guys, it's not the fault of one president and it's not the fault of one party. This has been going on for a long time. 
This has been, you can trace this back to the early 60s, probably, the loss of our manufacturing jobs and the loss of that sector of society, um, us feeling that we have to replace something rather than create something, I think is one of the biggest problems. I feel like we always, I call this acting out of survival when you do this type of thing. Like, I'll give you an example. We think those jobs that went away, manufacturing jobs, blue collar jobs, we think we have to put something like it in its place, replace something that was there. To me, that's operating out of survival rather than creating a new space, creating a new definition, you know, making it so people can get better education so they can be prepared for the world that they're going to be facing. They're not facing a pre-industrial world, a pre-technology world, you know, a world where your hands are the most important. It is your brain right now, whether we like it or not. Brain in your fingers, not even your hands. It's your, finger, your fingertips, for goodness sakes, right? <laughs> That's the world. So I think we need to focus on more on being creative in, in figuring these things out more than looking backwards. So my opinion. Some say the media helped normalize Trump. Do you agree with that? Wow. Do we have media people here? <laughs> oh, sorry, Bob. We got you. <laughs> well, I don't know what that I'm not sure about normalize. But certainly there was a lot of sensationalizing of Trump. Um, yeah, a lot of that concerned me in the beginning, but you know what? Like I said, so much of, I think, this type of stuff, stuff is so superficial anyway, I really don't know what to think of it. It probably got more people interested in the election. I don't, I don't like a lot of it. Like, I didn't even like Jimmy Fallon tussling his hair. I was, I was not a fan of that. You know, I'm not gonna you know, spend time talking about that that much, but I remember I was, <laughs> did not like that at all. And for me, it goes back to those things that he said. I take him at his word for those things. You know, I think they were very powerful. Um, so whether there's a, I, look, the media did not elect Donald Trump. Let's be clear about that. We should not be blaming the media for what just happened. This, what just happened was not, in my mind, a primarily negative thing. What happened was people were doing something they thought was positive. The negative votes did somehow, like some people, what I mean by negative and positive, I mean like some people voted against the other candidate, that's what I mean. But I don't think the negative vote voted Donald Trump in, like votes against Hillary. I really do think it was positive votes for Donald Trump that voted him in. Um, all right, I think we have time for one more question. Are you on the side? Uh, really? Boy, the time went fast. What happened? <laughs> That's how we do it here, man, in Harvard. <laughs> Time, right? Larry, are you on the side of those that are hopeful giving Donald Trump a chance, or are you on the side of the protesters, people that uh, are marching in the streets? A um, little bit, well, let me put it like this. Um, I understand why people are angry right now who feel not just that they lost, but that something is put in there that is unacceptable. And I think that's a different emotion than that something that is lost. And it was because of the things that I mentioned before. It was Donald Trump's own words that did that. It's not people making it up out of whole cloth. You know, he's the one that said he wanted to ban all Muslims. If you're a Muslim, you feel like you're being attacked. If you're, if you're one of those people who he said he wants to deport, you feel like there's a target on you. You know, if, if you're a woman who, you know, had to make the tough choice, you know, in reproductive rights, and he said he wants to put you in jail, you don't take that kind of information lightly. So I understand the anger that comes out, and I have no problem with letting feelings get out and letting anger express itself. Anybody that's been in marriage counseling knows that that's important. Right? <laughs> I know I'm speaking to students, you don't understand what I'm talking about, but trust me. <laughs> so I think that is very important. And it's, I feel that a lot of the people are expecting, like Trump is supposed to have like that men in black wand or something and just boom, and we're just supposed to forget all the things that he said. But you can't forget those things. He was running for president. You know, he wasn't running for something else. He was running to be the leader of the free world. Your words are important. The things that you say are important. They're important before you run, and they're important when you're in office. And I think they do have consequences. And I would just like to say that I don't think it's um, the people who are upset to wish the president well. And let me just say this. 
look, I want the country to do well and everything, but I remember when Obama was first in office and Rush Limbaugh came right out and some other people said they wanted him to fail. And people were excusing for him, said, well, they want his policies to fail because they disagree with them. Fine. I want Trump's policies to fail. I want the United States to win. That's how I feel about it. And to me, it's not up to people who are angry about the things that he said to give him a chance. It's up to him to prove that they're wrong and that he will do the right thing because he's the president. It's his job. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Here's her. Look at her. Here she is. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, folks, uh, we have time for questions. Uh, we have four microphones. As usual, three rules apply. One, introduce yourself, and please, uh, we're going to privilege students in the question asking. Two, keep it brief. And three, make sure it is a question. <laughs> Hi, my name's Charlotte. I'm a student in the college, and I'm a hey, huge fan of yours. I was wondering if you could speak to political correctness in comedy. A lot of things that we saw Eddie Murphy doing previously, we would not see now. The a political crisis in? In comedy. Oh, okay. Um, political crisis, you say? Correct, correctness. Oh, wow. Yeah. Could, could you explain um, so that? watching mm -hmm. old clips, particularly for me at least, Eddie Murphy, we would not see that kind of humor now. Um, uh -huh. Do you think that's for better or for worse? Oh, did you say political correctness? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you said political crisis. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Who did we lose? <laughs> um, yeah, political correctness. You know, society changes too. People laugh at different things as, you know, the society moves on. They decide what they feel like they want to laugh at. A lot of that is just cultural things. But there's always been an inclination for the society to say, sorry, that's unacceptable. It just used to be on the right. And then it shifted to the left for a little bit, you know. But Lenny Bruce, that was his whole fight was, was fighting for the right to, to say on stage what he wanted to say, you know. Um, but you know, it's hard to say. I think people that are funny kind of break through that most of the time, you know. It's hard for me to relate to it because I always feel like, well, my job is to make you laugh. If I didn't, it's kind of on me. <laughs> but uh, sometimes the society just feels a little more, just a little different at different times and they're just going to laugh at different things, you know, so. It's a tough one. Uh, first, I want to oh. thank you. It's hilarious. And oh, at this time, you. we do need love, love a lot. Yeah, thank I'm you. Ming from China. So to be honest, I didn't know you until last night. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> keeping and, it yeah, thank you. And last night, I call that keeping it 100. I don't know what they call it in China. <laughs> and last night, I watched like uh, roughly 10 of your episodes, and wow. I laughed a lot. <laughs> That's my girl right there. Right there. Thank you. Oh, it's so kind. It's kind of sad to Are we me. still on in China? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not canceled in China. That's a possibility, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's uh, kind of sad for me because uh, when you just uh, start to love something, but sure. you realize it's already off the, off the air. Yeah, so, I know. But my question Thanks again is, for reminding me once again. <laughs> I know. This is like the saddest night ever. Yeah. Well, last yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yes, because but go I, ahead. I noticed that uh, in your last show, uh, John Stewart yeah. uh, said something very, uh, very true, very beautifully, and very inspiring to you. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Don't confuse cancellation with failure." Right. And I think that's great. Yes. And uh, in my perspective, this election, Hillary is also like a cancellation of her show to be a president. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> if you have analogy. a chance to say something to her, what will you say? I would say, Hillary, there's, there's pay cable, there's premium cable, <laughs> there's... <laughs> you know, there's the internet, you could have your own YouTube presidency. <laughs> and then I'll say, oh, sorry, you're right, this analogy doesn't quite work for you, I'm sorry. <laughs> And also, maybe she can come to Harvard. Well, look, the, the reality of it is, Hillary Clinton has been an honorable public servant for a very long time. She, we don't require more from her. You know, it's, it's what she wanted to do, to, to give more, you know, when you look at it in the pure sense of it. I, she's had a very successful run. It's no doubt that she'll continue to do things, you know, that she's passionate about and cares about. You don't have to be president to do important things, as, you know, a lot of people in this room are doing, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Some China oil. Yes. Top that, brother. 
I mean, I can try. It's such a horrible thing. So, hi. Thank you for coming. My name is Ata. I am a sophomore at hey, the college. Um, um, watched your soul semi-religiously. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> so, my question is... I'm so Catholic, like, so that means a lot. I okay. appreciate that. <laughs> so, like, I'm entirely skeptical of, like, Trump's presidency, being that it's a little bit weak, when he walked back half of his, like, campaign promises, right? He said, oh, maybe we'll build a fence, mm-hmm. and, like, so on and so forth. So, like, I guess my question is, like, how long, I guess, is, do you think it's possible that Trump supports eventually turn on him, and if so, how long does it take? Like, what will be the turning point? Like, I'm, my question, I guess, is, like, which of the policies do you think matter like most in terms of policy? Be like, okay, once he's for like, Trump, which of his policies matter most to him? Well, not not to him, to his supporters. So like, say like, say to his decides, supporters. Yeah, let's say he decides, decides like, okay, like we're not building a wall. That's ridiculous. That's costing mm-hmm. a lot of money. Like, what supporters like turn on him? Like, what what's the line? Like the, the hypothetical line where like supposed to be like, you know what? You said you're going to deliver this and you didn't. I don't so. I don't think that's going to happen. I understand your question. I don't think his supporters are going to have an ultimatum with him. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think they will give him a long leash to accomplish things in a certain amount of time, whatever. I think he wants to go after Obamacare first. I mean, they'll have a, you know, an, Obama, an Obamacare orgasm for about four years just on that alone. You know? I, mean, I mean, they've had the, the foreplay like for the last eight years of it. <laughs> you know, they can't wait for that one. So uh, I think he'll have a long time to uh, I don't think there'll be any ultimatums in terms of he has to do this or that, especially if he, if he comes out of the blocks with that. There you go. Hi, my name is Nick. I'm a sophomore in the college. What's up, Nick? Hey. Uh, uh, what, as a comedian, what do you find yeah. is the difference between uh, making uh, viewers, audience members, not mm-hmm. just sort of you know laugh and then sure. feel better about maybe issues going on, things like that, mm-hmm. and then also turning that into action? So how do you, mm-hmm. what's the difference between making them distant well, or not? Well, I'm not an activist comic, you know, and our show wasn't really an activist show. Like, we didn't require action from the audience except to keep it on our channel, you know. <laughs> it was the only action. Um, now, there are some shows, some people looked at John Oliver's show and have seen it as more of an activist show where he would, mm-hmm. he would actually tell people to do something, you know, and, and, and get them to, like, call the FCC or do some other things. Excuse me. Um, and there was an interesting article about the John Oliver effect. I don't know if you guys saw that. And some people were wondering whether comedy really has any effect on people's political actions. You know, mm-hmm. some people say none, and some people, well, it's possible. You know, but our show, our particular show, was not built as a show to promote activism. It was more for information. Okay. Yeah, infotainment. Yeah. Yes. Uh, hi, I'm Jack. I'm also a sophomore at the college. Hey, Big Jack. fan of your show. Oh, thanks, Jack. And uh, I was just wondering, what do you think about uh, how Obama's legacy might be perceived when a lot of his policies are removed under mm-hmm. a President Trump? Well, I've always said from the beginning, look, one of my jokes, I even said this at the White House Correspondents Center, I said, you know, I voted for Obama because he was black, you know. As long as he kept being black, I was happy, you know. <laughs> right. What do you think about Obamacare? Is he still black? <laughs> But should we have invaded Iraq? Is he still black? As long as he keeps him black. Now, it was a joke. But underneath that joke, I honestly believe that the legacy of his just being in the White House will be more significant than any policy he could ever do because of the history of African Americans in this country. When, when I was a kid, and I said this at the dinner, a black man couldn't even be a quarterback of a football team, pro football team. We weren't looked at as someone that white people should be led by. That was like verboten. That why would, you, why would you follow a black man? It doesn't make sense. There was harsher language for black men that was used, of course. Now, so Obama, so that's in my lifetime. And I'm the same age as the president. So I just got to show he got to be president. <laughs> so for him to be the leader of the free world, that is so powerful where a child doesn't even question the fact that a black man can lead. I felt that way about if, when we would finally have the first female president. You know, that girls would be empowered to think, yeah, people are taking orders from us and it's not a different type of thing, you know. We don't have to put modifiers on it of, of saying that she's so bossy or whatever. It's like, no, she's just the boss. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be bossy, right? So I think those types of things are important for those, for those particular reasons. But I, I think the legacy of, of his election, of his being there, is more important than anything else, in my opinion. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
Thank you. All right, oh, yeah. thanks for talking to us tonight. Um, oh, my, my pleasure, thank um, I'm a first year MPP student here at the Kennedy School. And my question is, um, do you think the media is partially responsible for Donald Trump's win, considering the amount of attention he was given? And how do you see his surprising win <clears throat> Sorry, changing um, news reporting on elections? Mm -hmm. Well, I talked about this a little bit. Um, we should be very clear about um, how things work in this country, you guys. The vote is very powerful in this country. It's how we change things. It's how we get things done. Let's not underestimate the fact that people believe in the person that they're voting for, and that can be a very powerful thing. I think it's, if people didn't vote for Trump, it's hard to understand how that could happen, and it's easy to wonder, maybe some goblins came and, and stuffed the ballot boxes. <laughs> I'm not sure. But a lot of people wanted to vote for Donald Trump, and they did. They went out and they voted. And that's what happened. He had a message that a lot of people believed in, and he had more of that in the right places, because Hillary overall had more of that, but he had more in the right places with the system that we have that won him the presidency. Everything else to me is bonus land at the end of the day. Why, why do you think, mm -hmm. uh, why do you think the, the public let him lie. I mean, in the debates, he would mm -hmm. say something that was demonstrably not true, yeah. that they have him on tape saying mm -hmm. something else. It's a very interesting question. I just watched The Circus with uh, Mark Halperin, John Heilman, uh, the show, I think Mark Who gave the THY lecture two years ago. Great. By the way, guys, if you're interested in politics, this is great. In many ways, it's similar to the, uh, um, what was it called, the, the, the film about the JFK primary. It was mm -hmm. called Primary, I think. That's right. Yeah. Um, so it has, that's where cinema verite comes from, actually. And uh, so, but what's very fascinating is when you see people talking about why they are voting for Trump. And they firmly believed in that. And all those other things just didn't matter. The reasons why they wanted to vote for him had nothing to do with the other things. They're disqualifiers for everyone else, but not for the people that want to change and thought he was the agent of the change that they wanted. And the biggest change that most of the people wanted was to throw everybody out, including the Republicans. The Republicans, look, they threw out the Republicans first. You know, that was the Republican establishment that was thrown out. I mean, Trump is an independent candidate. He's not a Republican. He's not a Republican or a Democrat. He's a Trumpian, right? Do you think, uh, but do you think that there's something about him as a reality TV star, as a television presence in people's mm -hmm. home for a decade or more that made it that people don't think he's lying if he's performing? No, it's not so much that. I, I, don't, I think people don't care, which is, which is different than not thinking that he's lying. Not caring is a much bigger issue in my mind. Being fooled, look, I'm, I'm an amateur magician. I know how to fool people, you know, <laughs> right? Being fooled takes on a completely different characteristic than not caring, you know? Like I always say, uh, the thing that will kill love is indifference <laughs> more than hate. Hate still got a lot of love in there. Indifference kills it. Indifference about all those things kills all those issues. Kills it. Not important. Because think about it. There is no way with all the things that I mentioned, including that tape, that any candidate could have survived that. Any candidate that didn't have what Trump had was something that they wanted. It was a transaction. I think it was a transactional election. They wanted something, and he was giving it to them. He was selling it to them, basically. Yeah. I, uh, my name is Teddy. I'm a freshman at the college. Hey, Teddy. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, There's going to be a urine test right after this, Teddy. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> just thought I just thought I clear that up. No, it just looked like you were. Yeah, no. I'm not. No, I'm not. Hey, yeah, it's Teddy. Guys, stop it. Whoa. Hey, it's been legalized. Yeah. Oh, there been. you go. Go on, man. Knock yourself out, Teddy. <laughs> anyway, so I was wondering. I think I hit a nerve here, which is interesting. I was like, dude, how did he know? I was wondering if you wanted to come back to my dorm after this. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, I was wondering if you could reflect a little bit about um, what it was like to speak yes. at the White House Correspondents' Dinner mm -hmm. and how sort of preparing yeah. for that sort of gig is different than other gigs. Uh, it was the worst of times, it was the worst of times, no. <laughs> it was fantastic. Look, it was very surreal in many ways. The thing I remember the most is getting to have dinner with the First Lady. You know, I'm sitting there having dinner with the First Lady and we're talking about our kids and the world and all this stuff. And let me tell you something, the First Lady keeps it 100. 
<laughs> she's not kidding around, right? She was real, you know. Um, I can't even say something. She won't give me right? <laughs> and I was happy to like pull that stuff out, right? So by the time I got up to speak to the president, a lot of my nervousness had gone away, and it was kind of a surreal thing. And he's so funny, so good. You know you're going to struggle after him. But I really didn't care at that point. I thought, Larry, just go up and have fun. And I could tell, you know, I was trying to do a roast of the people there, but they didn't want to be too roasted over that point. Uh, you talked to Donald Trump about that. Oh, I know. It was so funny, you know. Uh, I remember the MSNBC joke, oh, God, where I said, and it was a Donald Trump joke. I just felt they were fawning over Donald Trump too much. I said, you know, the morning Joe, you know, their head is so far up Donald Trump's ass, they bumped into Chris Christie. You know? <laughs> 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 you know? Yeah, thank you. I thought it was funny too, right? They had an MSNBC. And then I say, and then I had to keep going. Oh, MSNBC missing a significant number of black correspondents. Then I doubled down. <laughs> so who's running that network? Boko Haram, and he's really upset now. You know? So, uh, so I'm like, whatever, you know. You know, I just had to let it go and, and just have fun and just be honored that I even had the chance to do that. I always feel honored in those situations more than anything else. Gratitude is a thing that always leads the way. So thank you very much. Bob, Bob Schieber had said earlier to me mm -hmm. that it's one of the only times that the president does not speak last. And that makes it a very challenging... Well, he used to, though, right? Yeah, I think George H.W. Bush, I think, changed it, because he invited, Gary Shandling, I think, told this story, where he invited Gary Shandling, he was a big fan of his, and Gary was like, well, what am I, I don't know. And it was a last minute thing, and Gary went and killed, supposedly, H.W. <laughs> had to follow him. He's like, this is not a good thing. <laughs> and so I think the following year, he made sure that he went up before the comic, I think is how it, the order switched. So, well, I so here. Yeah, I got some presidential trivia for you. Hi, uh, my, yes. name, my name's Jesse, I'm a junior at the college. Um, and my question is, um, what are your reflections on the election purely from a um, comedic perspective? What is my uh, reflection on what? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> what happened? What, are, what, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the election purely from a perspective of a comedian, not, not an American citizen? Um, uh -huh. were you, are you at all scared of... Wait, you know, you're separating comedian from American citizen? No, no, no. <laughs> like a Swedish a, comedian, you want me to... <laughs> yeah, so, so as purely from the perspective of comedy, are you at all scared that you know, Trump is just gonna sue everyone who says bad things about him? Are you more excited about the insane amount of material you're gonna oh, have I see to make jokes? What well, I've always said thoughts? many times, unfortunately, what bad for America, good for comedy, unfortunately. It's kind of just the nature of the business. I'd rather it be good for America and bad for comedy and me have to work harder, though. So, mm -mm. thank you. Uh, get, ooh, that's loud. There you go. There. Uh, good evening, yes. sir. My name is Elam Avakami. I am a joint degree student between the Harvard Medical School mm. and the Harvard Kennedy School. Wow. Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you drop a few more school names? <laughs> but more importantly, I'm talking to Larry Wilmore live in person. So that's hey, my, that's there my, you go. It's my greatest accomplishment. Mm. Uh, I want to ask you a question about um, how you think about uh, the balance between personal authenticity and self-censorship in public space. Mm -hmm. um, I'm asking more specifically about the yes, White House Correspondents' Dinner and most specifically about the very last moments of your speech, uh -huh. um, your salutation to President Obama. So give me a direct question then. Uh, I'm getting there. So my question yeah. is like... Um, Why did I say he's my nigga? No, no, no. I, 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 oh, did I just do it again? <laughs> The question was, if you can, uh, I was wondering if you can offer me as a future person who hopefully will have a public platform some advice on how you went about thinking about uh, censoring yourself and like living your... I would say if you're a doctor speaking at medical conventions, you, not wanna, you, you might not well, want to use my material. <laughs> well, maybe not to that degree, but you know, there's, there's a degree to which you feel, at least as a black person, you feel, I feel sometimes like I have to sure. tone down my blackness in public space. I um, understand. And I want to know how you, how you think about that. Well, I think context is everything, you know. Um, I don't know how much your blackness is out of control in public spaces. Uh, <laughs> you know, you might want to do a checklist on the blackness one day. <laughs> you know, blackness, I think we can lose this acting out part that is going on here. It's just me, but I think we can lose that. Um, you know, as a comedian, as a satirist, I have a specific thing that I want to turn upside down or deconstruct or get inside of and throw it out somewhere. So that's what I'm trying to do. That's the, 
I'm kind of, I'm doing message by that, you know? And uh, so I did that on purpose, not by accident. It was intentional, the thing that I was trying to do. So I don't know how I can relate it to a different space that's not intended for that. But if you're talking about authenticity, I think you should always be authentic. You know, you should always be your authentic self. Now, your authentic self can take on different forms. You can tailor it to different, you know, types of speaking or whatever. Look, I thought that Hillary Clinton was her most authentic self twice that I've seen when she's run for president. When she had the moment in New Hampshire in 2008, when she, uh, she kind of cried, and everybody's like, oh my God, Hillary, oh, oh we just want to hug you, oh my God. But it wasn't so much that she cried, she was having a real authentic moment where it seemed like we got to know her for a while in her concession speech a week ago. And I think she wrote every word of that concession speech. I don't think it was written by anyone else. I, I think she did. But what was interesting about that concession speech is she connected directly to the audience. And she, I didn't feel she did enough of that. And people that have met Hillary know that she is a very engaging person. I got the chance to meet her a year and a half ago, and I agree with that. But she connected in that speech, arguably when you're not selling something, maybe your guard goes down, whatever. But it was almost, it was very interesting to see that. And if you, I think if you're always being your authentic self, but just being smart about how you're tailoring it, I think is the way to go. Thank you. Always keep it 100. Yes. Well, keep it 70 sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. I can keep it 100, yes. Hi. My name is Rohi. I'm a second year MPP student at the Kennedy School. Oh, great. And I've, for the past week, I've been stuck between feeling fear and right. optimism. Yeah. And I think after listening to you speak, thank you for coming here. We do need oh, that comedic you. relief. And I'm on this like optimism bout, so I'm really All right. excited. I like that. Yes. So the motto of this school is ask what you can do. Mm -hmm. Given that we are now in this new reality where Trump is our president, um, what do you think public service means and mm. what do you think public service looks like in this new administration? Wow, that's a great question. I don't even know if I'm qualified for that. But I look, I admire you guys who are going into public service at such a young age. God bless you, man. You're choosing purpose over paycheck, you know. <laughs> At such a young age in your life, I, that's, it, but it's so, yeah, you want, but how can I get paycheck on my purpose, Larry? How can I do that? <laughs> There's ways to do that as well. They both, can, they both can happen, but God bless you for choosing that, you know? And look, it's important. I think Obama mentioned this the other day. It is very important for young people to get involved in the process and the system. Um, I think the Democratic Party, to me, doesn't have enough young stars that fills on deck, where I feel the Republican Party has a lot of young stars coming up through the system, you know? And, uh, you know, you get young people get involved, you know, there's a, so many things that you can do and so many things happen at the local levels. And um, yeah, so I'm very much not an expert on it, I'm very much for it. So thank you very much. Over here. Oh, there we go. Hi, Larry. My Hi. name's Maddie. I'm a freshman at the college. Um, hey, Maddie, I'm do you know Teddy? Fan. I do not. No. <laughs> <laughs> My question was, um, as a woman in the yes. country, um, it was definitely disappointing to see the outcome of this election, right. but from your opinion... As a man, it was disappointing to me, yeah. too. <laughs> from your opinion, do you think that we are going to be able to see a female president sometime soon, and who do you think that it might be? Well, I hope so. Um, I'm sure, yeah. I mean. Look, President Palin, I mean, if you think about it, whoa, what, did I, what just happened? What just happened? What just happened? <laughs> Everybody went, Larry, no! Yeah, we all laughed at President Trump a little while ago. Um, of course, it has to happen. Stop it, America, stop it. Just, wh why has this not happened yet? It's, it's embarrassing almost now, you know? Um, but I think it may happen on the Republican side before the Democrat side. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see that vote turn out. Yeah. Hi there. Thanks for joining us tonight. My name is Sam. I'm a junior at the college. Oh, thanks. Uh, I've spent the last few years watching you, John Stewart, John mm -hmm. Oliver, uh, and mostly that I can think of liberal comedians. Sure. And we've been laughing up, mm -hmm. up until last week. We've been laughing a lot, and right. I can't really think of any conservative comedians. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, has that hurt us that we've been laughing at the other side for a while? And they've been getting angry. Mm -hmm. What has well, that done, do you think, the no, the dynamic using, politically? Thanks, Sam. Um, there's a lot of broad terms that you're using. I just want to clarify. You say us, and you said them. So yeah. 
Because if you're suggesting that 59 million people watch like The Daily Show and, and my show, I'd still be on the air, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of us and them, you know? Um, Look, I, I think any time one particular side is in power, there's an opportunity to be smug about being in power, you know, whether it's coming from a TV show or a place that says it's fair and balanced, you know. Um, so, you know, that opportunity exists in different ways. Look, even though you talk about that on the left, on the right, you have something called talk radio, which is a very big voice on the right that does kind of the same things but in a different way and had its big movement in the 90s and it's still going still going pretty strong the left really doesn't have it the way the right does and and the influence it had on society so i think there's influences just in slightly different ways you know but from a comedian's point of view i would love to see more conservative comics out there because I, I love people who come in with different points of view and just sling it i love to see that personally there there's nothing i'd love to see more than somebody who was really funny just just turn things upside down. I think it'd be great, so. Thank you. Maybe it's you, Sam. <laughs> I don't know. I think that was a cry for help. <laughs> I voted for Trump, Larry, and I gotta talk about it. We've seen sort of an unprecedented, unprecedented number of like threats against journalists, mm. and also this weekend watching like Wanda Sykes get just booed off a stage for like a cancer benefit during a set about Donald Trump was pretty jarring. So I'm thinking about like what obligation do we have to sort of prop up our journalists and our and our comedians, and like what would that look like? Um, I would. I still, even though I appreciate the connection, I still would disassociate those two. Um, I think journalists and comedians are two different things. Um, I, the things that Donald Trump though, is what you're saying about what he, him threatening journalists, I think is very dangerous, you know. If he threatened Kevin Hart, I'm like, whatever, you know. But um, it is very dangerous for anybody in that office to threaten journalists in any way. So I think that is a, a big issue and it's much more important. Comedians, we're used to getting booed, whatever. We move on. You know, we know how to answer hecklers. We don't care. Um, I want to ask you about that as a closing question, uh, about that relationship between journalism and, and comedy. Sure. Because uh, part of what I enjoyed about your show was it was, it was really substantial on, on really significant issues mm -hmm. around racial violence, around, uh, around voting rights laws, around... Uh, we had even, Tampon Tuesday. Uh, Mm. Even black, you, 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 had, you had a panel of black Trump voters that was among yes. the more insightful things I saw on TV about the election. Mm -hmm. And so you want to draw this distinction between journalism and comedy. Right. And yet, in many ways, your show felt more like journalism mm -hmm. than some of, the, some of the shows on cable TV. Yeah, I mean, we appreciate all that, but what we're doing is the material that we want to do requires a certain amount of investigation and fact-checking because we want to make sure we're presenting the proper information, so we have to go through that process. So the audience, so we're telling the audience this story, so we have to investigate it and do our work. You know, like a journalist would, but we're doing it to tell this story, a comedic story about it, or, or looking at something in a certain way. So I guess you could say we're using some of those tools, but our purpose isn't to be the journalist. You know, it's, it's do what we're doing, I guess. If we you know? lived in a different news media environment, mm -hmm. do you think your show would have been different? Would have been um, less substantive? Well, a lot of this is John Stewart's thing, you know, where a lot of people said they looked to John for the news because they didn't trust the other outlets. And I, and I think a lot of that is because a lot of the news just isn't honest more than they're not good. Like if Fox just said, instead of fair and balanced, we're on the right, people go, oh, okay, you're on the right. Okay, I get it. And if MSNBC, instead of said lean forward, lean left, and go, okay, right, lean left, thank you. Thanks for telling me. And like I said, if CNN says CNN, C-E-N, <laughs> then we would go, thank you. Thank you, CNN, you're here to entertain. You know? I mean, people would appreciate the honesty of it. A lot of young people look to Jon Stewart because they felt like Jon didn't have an agenda other than to make them laugh and tell the truth, and that was it. And so they appreciated that. And so I think a lot of people watch John because of that. Well, thank you tonight for helping us laugh and for telling the truth. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So much fun. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Listen to Kendrick Lamar. We're going to be all right.
<laughs> you can watch a full video of the lecture and read the transcript at shorensteincenter.org. Thank you for listening to the Shorenstein Center Media and Politics Podcast. Music provided by extrememusic.com. <laughs>